0: Just a quick disclaimer, there's some slight adult stuff this week. Check out MythPodcast.com for more info. This week on Myths and Legends, we're back in Greek mythology, wrapping up the story of Theseus and the Amazons. You'll see that no matter how bad your relationship is with your in-laws, if they aren't storming your city and vowing to bring death to you and everyone you hold dear, you're still doing better than Theseus. On the Creature of the Week, you'll see why you should absolutely avoid that worm dance party going on down at the beach. This is Myths and Legends, episode 93B, Love and War. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. Previously on the show, Theseus married the Amazon Antiope, though not 100% consensually. Her fellow Amazons, led by Arithia, had some strong opinions about that and they stormed Athens to try to get her back. While in Athens, Antiope became pregnant, and she and Theseus' first son, a boy named Hippolytus, was born. (music) Ruthia could see that her sister was alive. She had only caught glimpses of Antiope here and there, but she saw the woman dressed in her Amazon armor. She didn't know why her sister wasn't fighting to escape, but she imagined Antiope had her reasons. It didn't matter. Orithia would have the head of Theseus soon enough, and her sister would be free. It was a tough start to the hostilities between the Amazons and the Athenians. The Amazons, though a superior fighting force, occupied the low ground, and the Greeks, who weren't as proficient as the Amazons, maintained a better position and knew the city well. The Amazons stayed in the city for a week until they could see that the cowardly Athenians weren't going to dislodge themselves from the highest hill. After a week of siege, Theseus stepped forward to talk to the Amazons. He returned with good news and bad news. The bad news? They were going to have to fight the Amazons one way or another. The good news? Theseus got to pick the place. He'd chosen a field right outside of Athens. With the discipline of the Greek soldiers, the Athenians might just stand a chance. Theseus and Antiope spent the night before battle apart. Theseus was up late with preparations and Antiope was with their infant son, Hippolytus. Theseus didn't know what Antiope would do the following day, whose side she would choose. Of course, she could leave if she wanted. Theseus had told her sister that much earlier that morning, but the Amazons didn't care. It had gone past getting Antiope back. It was an issue of honor now. The whole world knew that a Greek had betrayed the Amazon queen and that another had kidnapped her sister. The Amazons needed to make an example of the Greeks so the world didn't think they could come and do the same. As Antiope nursed her baby, even she wasn't sure what she would do in the morning. Theseus watched his men die. With relish, Arithia watched her women do the killing. Even with all their formations and plans, the Greeks still couldn't stand against the Amazons. The women drove forward, it wasn't long until Orithia was cutting through the men right in front of Theseus and Antiope. Theseus saw Antiope push her horse forward first, and he followed her into the fray. It was moments later that the sisters faced each other in battle, both cut down from their horses and embraced. The battle stopped around them. Orithia grabbed her sister's wrist, saying that she was safe now, Antiope smirked. She had always been safe. I mean, did she see these guys? Come on, but no. She thanked Orithia for coming, for doing so much for her, but she was choosing to stay with the Greeks, with her husband and with her son. Orithia took a step back in shock then gritted her teeth. No, Antiope was coming with her, the sleazy little king and his people had corrupted her. They'd made her weak. A son? It didn't take Hera whispering in the ears of the Amazons this time. Among them, some started to wonder if it was an accident. Antiope being with Theseus when her sister Hippolyte was killed by Hercules. Maybe that had been part of her plan all along, and now this? Women were dying because of Antiope, but she was choosing to stay among the Greeks. Many of the women had these thoughts as they watched Antiope take a step back and rest her hand on Theseus's horse. One, though, decided to do something about it. She notched an arrow, aimed for the traitor's heart, and let it fly. It hit a gap in the Amazon armor a weakness only a fellow Amazon could know. Antiope felt a thud and found that she couldn't breathe. She looked at her sister with confusion and pain. Theseus didn't see the arrow until Antiope collapsed next to his horse. Blood smeared on the animal, brimming with rage. He didn't care that he was right next to the enemy host. He didn't care that it might mean all of their deaths. Theseus yelled and his Greeks yelled back. They gripped their spears and fired their arrows. A complete bloodbath ensued. The Greeks, with renewed vigor, cut the Amazons flat-footed. Earthia herself was hit with three arrows as she rushed back to her horse. She dragged herself from the battlefield. It was all she could do to survive, let alone command the women. In seconds, in one stupid shot from a misguided Amazon, the day had been lost. The Amazons retreated. The Athenian men rushed past Theseus to give chase to the fleeing Amazons, but the king jumped down from his horse and ran to his wife. Blood was pooling in her armor, She looked to the sky. She had made her choice. He would kill her. Those were the words that Theseus heard from the oracle when he went, days later, to ask about his wife. He took it to mean that she would die. After the Amazons fled, and they had brought her carefully inside to the healers, they saw that Antiope was still alive, though barely. A miraculous thing happened that first night. She survived. She'd stopped bleeding, but she still wasn't awake. Another day passed with the healers doing all they could, and so Theseus went to seek counsel from the gods. And he got that message, that he would kill her. He knew that she would succumb to her injuries, and when she did, it would be his fault. He would have killed her. He arrived unannounced, and turned the corner to his wife's room to find her sitting up and holding little Hippolytus. She smiled. She was in extraordinary pain, and they were very much not out of the woods yet. But the healer said that it looked like it was the will of the gods that she would pull through. They had repelled the Amazons, the very first foreign army to ever invade Greece, and they had survived. But how long would they survive? Athens could and would build walls, but they were still so vulnerable there were tribes and monsters that lurked in the wilderness. But the biggest threat to Athens was other kingdoms. They got along well with most of their neighbors and had an uneasy but peaceful relationship with Sparta to the south. But there was still one. There was a powerful kingdom out there that hated Theseus and the Athenians. They had trampled the Athenians until Theseus killed the Minotaur and escaped in the night with captives, taking and then quickly abandoning the princess of Crete, Ariadne, King Minos. The king who ordered the labyrinth to be constructed would have waged war against the Athenians immediately, but an old grudge resurfaced. Minos had gone after the inventor himself, Daedalus, and ended up being boiled alive in his bath. Now, the surviving sons of the late King Minos ruled Crete, and they were a bit more stable than their father, evidenced by not sending young people into a maze to be eaten alive by a bull monster. But they still blamed the Athenians for their downfall and personally hated Theseus, or so Theseus thought until the day one of their messengers showed up in Athens. The messenger said that the king, Deucalion, a son of Minos, wanted a peace between the two kingdoms. Theseus, still shaken over the Amazon assault that nearly destroyed them, agreed and asked the terms. You're out of bed. Theseus said, wide-eyed. He let out a low whistle, a cue that he had planned for just this instance. Three armed men rushed into the room and stood by their king. Blood was already starting to stain Antiope's nightclothes as she stood there. Teeth clenched and eyes locked on Theseus. She asked if it was true. Theseus said that there was a lot going on that she didn't understand. She asked again, taking a step forward. Theseus took a step back. And bumped up against the wall. Yes, it was true. Theseus was marrying Phaedra, a daughter of Minos, to finally close the rift between the two hostile kingdoms. When it was done, Athens wouldn't have any enemies in Greece. It wasn't personal, just political. He and Antiope would remain married, and yes, he would have to disinherit Hippolytus, and allow for his child with Phaedra to sit on the throne of Athens. It was okay, though. Theseus was actually heir to another kingdom through his mother, so Hippolytus would still be a king someday. See, it would all work out. A forced smile faded from Theseus' face as he realized the news only made Antiope angrier. She started walking forward. Theseus threw up his hands. She needed to calm down. He was king and he was commanding her to stop. He had seen the Amazons in battle though. He had seen what Antiope did the day he accidentally kidnapped her and he had never seen her this angry before. He gave one of his men the signal to stop her now. The warrior stepped forward hand on a sword to push back this woman. She was just an invalid, a wounded invalid. She should not have been able to break his arm in three places and then impale him on his own sword, but that's exactly what she did. The other two men gave up all pretense of trying to calm her down and rushed the Amazon, Spears out. Theseus started looking for an exit, but knew it was futile. The Amazons were a force of nature. Even bloody and wounded, he knew that Antiope was faster than him, stronger than him. From the moment she knew about the wedding of Phaedra, there was no stopping this. When the other two men were dead, Antiope threw down the Athenian sword and reached into her nightclothes to grab the knife that she had carried since she was a girl, the one she trained with as an Amazon. It never left her side. As she walked forward, blade pointed down at Theseus, she berated the king. She had given up everything for him, her family, her home, even her identity. Now she lived as a traitor to her people in a city that hated her because of him, and he was gonna marry another woman? And Taipei was now standing over him. No, he wouldn't be marrying another. She raised the knife above her head and stabbed downward for the kill, but something stopped her. That something was Theseus and his sword, the one that he had had since he left his birthplace, the city of treason, the one that had made him king. He had started carrying it with him since the messenger came from Crete, since he accepted the offer to marry Phaedra. It was now buried to the hilt in Antiope's stomach. The blood from that wound connected with the blood from the arrow wound, and Antiope collapsed. She died, gasping for air in Theseus' arms. We'll get back to our story, but that will be right after this. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. It was a special day. King Pythias had a surprise. Pythias, if you remember was the king of a city called Treason. When Aegeus, father of Theseus, was passing through on his way from the oracle, Pythias, skilled at understanding prophecy, knew that not only would Aegeus have a son, but Pythias would have his own heir to sit on the throne when he was gone. He sat Aegeus next to his daughter at dinner, gave them both a lot of wine, and just let the situation work itself out. And it did. Nine months later, little Theseus was born. He was raised in treason by his mother, Aethra, until it was time to go to Athens to claim his birthright. The elderly King Pythias hobbled toward Hippolytus, his heir, and laughed to himself. All those years ago, he was so obsessed with his legacy that he tricked a king and his daughter into sleeping together. He thought he was old then. How was he to know he had another 50 years in the tank? How was he to know that it wouldn't be Theseus who sat on his throne, but the son of Theseus? See, Pythias had trained Theseus years ago, and when Theseus became King of Athens, Pythias assumed that he'd never see the man again. It had been years when, Alone, Theseus returned to treason with a baby. Pythias thought he saw tears streaking his grandson's face, but Theseus didn't stay long enough for him to pry. He simply told Pythias that this was his son, named Hippolytus. He asked Pythias to keep him here, to raise him as he did Theseus. Hippolytus' mother had died. There was no one left for him now. He would grow into a strong, capable man, and Pythias finally had his king. That was nearly 20 years ago. Hippolytus had left treason exactly once, to go visit Athens two years ago to see his father for the first time. Like Theseus had idolized Aegeus, Hippolytus idolized Theseus. Theseus was surprised too, that Phaedra, the daughter of Minos, the one that he would married after Antiope, didn't hate Hippolytus. Maybe 18 years of forced exile for a baby had been overkill. Now, on Hippolytus' 20th birthday, King Pythias had a surprise. Theseus was coming to treason, and he would be staying for a long time. Hippolytus rejoiced at the news before his daily hunt with the attendance of Artemis. A few hours later, he returned at the same time as someone else. Hippolytus, a man of 20, sweaty and breathing heavily, almost ran right into Phaedra, his stepmother. Having not grown up in Athens and not really aware in the role Phaedra had played in his mother's downfall, Hippolytus greeted her warmly. She... did not greet him warmly. She didn't say anything, she could only look at him. The two years since she had seen him, they had been good to him. He had grown up. At first, two years ago, she had chastised herself. Not only was he a kid, but he was her stepson. She was happily married to his father, but still, she couldn't get the young man out of her mind. It had become worse after he left, until she was consumed by thoughts of him. When Theseus announced that he had assassinated a few cousins and they could keep their throne, but they had to go into voluntary exile for a year, she prayed that they wouldn't be going to treason. She could never be that strong. And yet, here she was. He had been a boy when she saw him last. Now, he was a man. Aphrodite, the goddess of love, smiled. Some vaguely edible weirdness would show Hippolytus to swear a vow of chastity and publicly denounce Aphrodite. And yes, Hippolytus actually did that. Not only did he swear to be chaste, but he also called Aphrodite, quote, the most vile of divinities. I get the desire to speak your mind, but in a world where the gods are real and extremely petty and vindictive, you don't need to publicly denounce Aphrodite. Keep it to yourself and enjoy your non-calamity-filled life. When it comes to the gods, listen to Burr, talk less, smile more, don't let them know what you're against, and, well, you know the song. Anyway, what's said cannot be unsaid, so Aphrodite struck Vader with a deep and powerful lust for Hippolytus. And now she and Theseus will be spending a year in treason, in exile, and it would be days before Theseus even arrived. She knew herself. She knew she wasn't strong enough for that. And so she knew what she must do. About a week later, Phaedra struggled to sit up in bed. She was getting weaker. Good. Her nurse came every day and every day Phaedra swatted away the food from her hands. Phaedra, with no idea what these thoughts meant or where they were coming from, was horrified with herself. She knew a long, torturous death of starvation was the only way she could purify herself, was the only way she could be free of these feelings. The nurse thought that something else was going on, so she made everyone leave the room and brought up the topic with the queen. Phaedra, ashamed, and after many, many pages of pleading, finally broke down and told the nurse her shameful secret. The nurse cocked her head, wait, seriously, that's it? You're in love with a guy who doesn't love you back? Oh, wow. That's a really specific problem that's only been experienced by most humans, gods, and creatures. Phaedra screamed, it was her stepson. The nurse waved her hand. Yeah, stepson. They aren't even blood related. It's weird, sure, but ancient Greece. Weird isn't weird here. Phaedra shot back. She wouldn't cheat on her husband with his son. To which the nurse replied that, oh, okay, so Theseus would rather that she died? Hmm, no. Okay, so you know what? I'm not saying do it but do it. Clear your head, get this out of your system, but don't kill yourself. I'll tell you what, if you don't want me to talk to Hippolytus, get out of bed right now and stop me. Oh, you can't? Because you've been starving yourself? Oh, okay, then I'll go. Thanks for permission. Since patient confidentiality wasn't close to being a thing, the nurse immediately went to Hippolytus with a request. First, she made him swear a binding oath that he would never tell anyone what they discussed. Then, she opened with a fun Hey kiddo. You've got a secret admirer. She's super into you, and you need to get together with her today, or else your stepmom's gonna die. Also, she's your stepmom. Hippolytus stopped her right there. First things first, he swore a binding chastity oath to Artemis, so no dice there. And even if that wasn't in place, he did have a follow-up reaction of what? His stepmom? The nurse rolled her eyes. (sighs) You two. Look, you're not blood-related. You've spent probably two hours with each other in your entire life. Look, It looks bad on paper, and it's adultery, and maybe the deepest betrayal imaginable of your father, but Hippolytus didn't understand what sort of state Phaedra was in. Hippolytus staggered back, disgusted by what he had heard. He loudly cursed and denounced both the nurse and Phaedra, saying that he would never be a party to what they were asking of him. He would keep the secret, as he had sworn to, but he was leaving treason until his father returned. Then, perhaps things could be brought into the light. He didn't trust either of them in the meantime, so he would be out living in the wilderness with his bow and the priests of Artemis. That was his true home. He grabbed his bow and stormed out of the palace. The nurse hung her head, then realized they weren't in Hippolytus' private chamber. They were in the hallway, the very echoey hallway that led right to Phaedra's room. Phaedra had it ready earlier, but she had decided to go with a more torturous form of death. When she heard the conversation between the nurse and Hippolytus start, she wanted to die right then. She knew it was over, her name would live on, tarnished. She would be the laughingstock of Athens and she would shame Crete, her home. There was only one thing left to do. In death, she could pin her shame on another. It was a horrible thing to do, but the shades in Hades wouldn't judge her for it. She wrote one short message for Theseus, used her last bit of strength to swing the noose she had made earlier around a rafter, looped it around her neck and stepped off the chair. Out of breath, the nurse tried to save her. She even screamed frantically, rushing around the palace looking for a knife to cut down her queen, the woman she had raised from birth, but even if she had been able to find one, it would have been too late. Phaedra's neck had broken the instant she stepped from the chair, yet another casualty in the games gods play with mortals. Outside, King Theseus stood at the gates, his entire retinue waiting for the city to be open for him. He was a bit annoyed, and wondered what could be so distracting for his people inside. That's when faint cries of anguish came wafting on the wind. D.C. stood in shock as they covered the body of his wife. He didn't know what to do. It was all so confusing. He didn't even know anything was wrong, and now this? The nurse was clutching the body, sobbing, and Theses had to steady himself on the desk. That was when his hand came to rest on Phaedra's wax tablet, one that she'd been writing on just before she died. Theses picked it up and scanned the first couple of lines, then read more intently. When he made it to the bottom, his knuckles were white and he was smushing the wax under his thumbs. He looked at his wife and shook his head. He couldn't believe what he was reading. One of his attendants could see the king was troubled, so he asked Theseus what the matter was. Theseus told the man that he knew why his wife had taken her own life. He threw the tablet on the ground and screamed out, Hippolytus, all Wrath of Khan-like. The servants were confused, so Theseus continued. In her last words, Phaedra had written that Hippolytus had forced himself upon her. She knew that Theseus would never believe it and that it wouldn't be the last time. She was in despair, so she'd stopped eating but when it looked like it would keep happening, she had been forced to do it. She had taken her own life. Theseus confided in his servants that his father, his true father, had been Aegeus, king of Athens. But his mother maintained that on the same night, Poseidon had beckoned her out to the coast, and they also, yeah. Since there was no such thing as a paternity test in ancient Greece, there was always a little doubt in Theseus's mom's mind. And so Poseidon had given the boy a little gift. Three times in his life, Theseus could curse anyone anywhere, anytime, no questions asked. Which, okay, if you're an Olympian looking for a birthday gift for a child you just learned you have, you can't go wrong with three curses. But I feel like that's the Amazon gift card of Olympian birthday gifts. But hey, you know, kids love it because you can spend it on whatever you want and they don't really expire. But it does kind of show that you forgot their birthday. Regardless, Theseus had lived, let's say 50 years, and had never once used the curse. Not on King Minos or the Minotaur not against any of the enemies he faced with the Argonauts, or even against the Amazons. It's almost like this later Greek playwright was just making this part up because he wrote himself into a corner. Who's to say? Regardless, Theseus had his curses, and for the first time in his life, he knew who he would use one on. His own son had raped his wife and driven her to suicide. It doesn't get any worse than that. He announced that he would exile his son and pray to Poseidon to make good on his curse. He would ask Poseidon to kill his son. Just then, Hippolytus turned the corner, beaming. He had heard his father yell for him and, oh my gosh, what happened? Theseus only sneered. Hippolytus knew exactly what happened. The son of the Amazon looked around the room, scowling at him. He had no idea what his father was talking about. Theseus said that Hippolytus stood convicted by the last words of a dead queen. It didn't matter how many oaths he swore. It didn't matter if he said he was a vegetarian or chaste. He could give the appearance of a dutiful son a kind, thoughtful man. But with Phaedra's last words, the monster within was revealed. He was a rapist, and now a murderer. Hippolytus started, but Theseus shut him down, saying that Hippolytus wasn't going to talk his way out of this. Hippolytus was exiled, and must leave treason immediately, and never show his face in any country where his father was considered a friend. He should get out of Theseus' sight now. Hippolytus pleaded with his father. There was more to the story, Hippolytus had made a pledge upon the gods not to say, but if he investigated further, or at all, he would see how wrong he was. V'ger hadn't been honorable, though she had done an honorable thing. Hippolytus begged his father to talk to other people before he did this, but Theseus just shook his head. His son was honestly saying he was too pious. That's why he couldn't explain what happened. Did Hippolytus mishear him? He said the kid was exiled. If it was up to him, he would see Hippolytus driven to Atlas or Colchis, but he would settle for out of Greece. That was how much he now hated the young man. That hit Hippolytus right in the chest. He loved his father, idolized his father. To have the man standing here spitting curses into his face broke him. Hippolytus hung his head, tears dropping to the floor. Where would he go? Where would he stay? Theseus shrugged. Maybe there was a host out there who didn't mind a guest raping his wife and driving her to suicide in his home. But that wasn't Theseus' problem. Theseus' problem was for some reason, still here. But that will be solved soon, one way or another. Theseus rested his hand on his sword. Baltus' last words to his father were a prayer, asking Artemis to show him how wrong he was, even if it was too late. Without an ounce of pity, Theseus watched his son as he fled the palace. News arrived later on that week. Theseus had just finished burying his wife when a servant arrived. He recognized the young man as one of those who had left with Hippolytus. It happened a few days after they'd left. They were riding by the ocean with Hippolytus. The young man's chariot had sped off ahead of the group. In an instant, the waves kicked up and swelled almost 20 feet high. When they cleared, a massive bull took their place. It roared at Hippolytus' horses and they bolted. Hippolytus barked commands at his horses and got them back under control. Getting them under control, though, proved to be his undoing. His hands on the reins, the bull bellowed again. It filled Hippolytus and his companions with dread, and his horses with terror. It drove them toward the rocks. They turned hard to avoid running into them, but Hippolytus wasn't as fortunate. His chariot shattered against the boulders. Even worse, his arms had been tangled in the reins. His friends listened helplessly as the frightened horses dragged the body across sharp rocks. Good it was all Theseus could muster. The guy was his son, but what he had done was unforgivable. Poseidon had made good on his curse. The companion said he never believed that Hippolytus did what they said of him. At any rate, the kid's still alive. Pretty much mangled beyond recognition and looks like he's in constant agonizing pain. Well, he also said he's in constant agonizing pain, so there's that. They brought him back to treason what he wanted it was the only home he ever had Theseus asked the messenger to bring the body to him he wanted to see the punishment that the gods had brought on the man who killed his wife yeah okay I'll tell them to bring him up the messenger said and left Theseus hey he heard from the other side of the room he turned and saw Artemis shining in the corner she had come with a timely revelation well timely in that it was poised to cause the maximum amount of pain not timely in that it could do anything at all she laid out the entire true story to Theseus. Not only had his dead wife tricked him, but that he had cursed his own son to an extremely painful death. Oh yeah, and Poseidon wasn't happy about killing an honorable kid either. So now your maybe godfather thinks you're horrible now too. Theseus stood there wide-eyed, with mouth agape, as a wave of emotions washed over him. He he couldn't believe it. He killed his son for nothing. Just because Apollotus swore to be a virgin and denounced Aphrodite, Artemis told Theseus to take heart. It wasn't like he had a choice in the matter. Aphrodite wanted the kid dead, so the kid was going to die. Oh, and here he is. Theseus saw his son, mangled and dying, and threw himself on the young man, begging his forgiveness, telling him that they had both been deceived by the gods. Hippolytus said that he knew. He knew all along that something horrible was going on, and even though it had come to this, he was glad he was alive long enough to be reconciled to his father. Artemis announced that her greatest servant would be honored in the city of treason as long as she was. Theseus held Hippolytus as his son, finally at peace, breathed his last. Theseus watched the men heap dirt on his son's grave, Ariadne. His father, Aegeus. Antiope, Phaedra, Hippolytus, everyone he cared about, everyone he got close to, died. The only constant in the lives of all those people was Theseus. Theseus sighed and walked back to treason. When he arrived, Pythias told him that he had a guest. The man's name was Pyrrhus. Pyrrhus said he was so sorry to hear all about Theseus' wife and son. He too had lost his wife recently, It was the hardest thing he had ever had to go through. You know what was the second hardest, though? Meeting a new wife without his wingman. Theseus shook his head. He'd been married a long time. It wasn't even on his radar. He hadn't been thinking about this at all. Pyrrhus cocked his head. Really? Theseus continued. But, you know, bow and arrow to his head, there was someone he had in mind. She was just a teensy bit young. She was ten. So they have to kidnap her and keep her for a few years. Pyrrhus said that sounded great to him, but if he helped Theseus kidnap a 10-year-old, Theseus had to help him meet, slash, maybe kidnap a wife of his own, no matter how dangerous or scary. Theseus agreed. As they were preparing to head out, Pyrrhus asked Theseus where they were going for his future wife. Theseus paused, then replied that they were going to Sparta. Her name was Helen, Helen of Sparta. We are slowly, slowly inching our way to the Trojan War. And I think 2018 will finally be the year we talk about the next generation of Greek heroes and villains. Next week on the show, it's our final episode of the year, and it's a very Viking Christmas on the Myths and Legends podcast. I'm really looking forward to it. I want to say thanks to I Am The Droidger You're Looking For, Tizasma, Ragan in Canada, The Curious Cat Mac, Dark Flu, Gina and Sophia, JSTAR07, Adventure Lauren, Dubious Caesar, hasty 93 Evisu Tengu, Spellbound 81, Molinator 94, and ABPD Fox for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so, so much. It's great to hear from you, and I really appreciate it. If you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is still very much the best place, and you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. The creature this time is the Cerastes, also from medieval Greece. If you're anything like me, when you're walking along the beach and see two to eight horns sticking out of the sand, you're probably like, hey, are you delicious animal horns? I have to tell you though, no matter how delicious those sandy, inedible horns look, don't try to pull them from the ground. Because more likely than not, it's the Serastes. It will rise up from the sand and strike with enough venom to kill a full-grown human in three hours. Or nine days. Or any number of hours or days in between. You're dying. That's the take-home message here. Leonardo da Vinci said that it has four horns that can move around, so birds might see, quote, worms at play and decide to dive in for a snack. If you happen to see a tiny worm dance party on the beach, just resist the urge to join in, or if you do, just appreciate it from a distance, unless you want your days to be numbered, but, you know, not like specifically numbered. The serpent is spineless, so not only can it kill you, but it can do so impressively contorted. Its real-life counterpart is the horned viper, whose genus is actually named after this creature, The horned viper, if you aren't familiar, is a real animal, who I guess was concerned that people weren't making the connection between snakes and devils. So it has two little fun devil horns, just to let you know that it hasn't turned over a new leaf. Unlike the Serastis, the horned viper does not have enough venom to be lethal to humans. It will only cause swelling, hemorrhaging, nausea, vomiting, and necrosis. That's it for this time. The theme song is by the band, Broke for Free, and the crate of the Week music is by Steve Colmes. There are links to other music in the show notes, and I want to say thanks again to Loot Crate for sponsoring us this week. December's Loot Crate theme is Explore, featuring items from Destiny 2, Guardians of the Galaxy, and a few mystery franchises. One lucky subscriber will also win a mega crate of seriously epic proportions. Subscribe on the 19th at 9pm Pacific to receive this month's crate. Go to lootcrate.com slash legends and enter my code legends.com to save $3 on any new subscription today. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Chris Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.